0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
0: Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. Brian Burns to the house. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. On two, three. Keep
2: Welcome back another episode of the roar brought to you by blue wire i'm your host billy marshall and it's game week and as always we have a guest from the opposing viewpoint to provide some insights into this matchup and uh, from the cleveland browns we have my good friend jake burns who covers them does a tremendous job on so many different outlets obr is one uh, not only just film breakdown you can follow his podcast too uh jake what's going on man Billy, what's up man thanks for having me ready to start talking some
3: football that actually matters man
2: yeah for sure and a lot of people are anticipating this game because of the long awaited possible revenge match for Hollywood Higgins yeah well of course this is the Hollywood Bowl right that's the guy that we uh
3: that we care so much about you know i, mean, I think we all know what this is tied to but it is funny that uh, entirety of Hollywood's career is tied to the quarterback that you now find in your uh, home team there. So it'll be fun to see how impactful Hollywood is, not just for <laughs> Baker and Cleveland, but for for Baker and Carolina, for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and Jake, I've obviously been following your for quite a while. I started actually following you during that 2018 draft uh, because Cleveland, uh, I believe that was the second consecutive year. They had the number one overall pick. So uh, they were looking at QBs pretty closely and you were breaking down Mayfield film at Oklahoma and the rest of that class, whether it was Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Darnold, Rosen, uh, whoever. So let's just go back. I want to focus on Mayfield just quickly. What were your expectations for him when he first came to Cleveland, you know, as a prospect? And where do you think it kind of went wrong the past few years or so? So it's listen,
3: how much time do we have? Right. (laughs) Because I've spent I've spent so long in the past three years looking at this uh, I'll, I'll try to i'll try to condense it so to me baker mayfield can do a lot of things you want your starting quarterback to do he can he can make uh you know all of the leadership things i think are there the elements are there now he's not going to be every single person's guy i think that's been evident but for the most part people believe in him when he meets them he's engaging he's funny he has a way of leading uh, that I think a lot of players are drawn to, and again, some guys that's going to rub the wrong way. Some guys, for the most part, I think do fine with it. So, you know, with Baker though, from a, from a person standpoint, I still think there are some immaturity things that 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 plague him. So, a good example of that recently is the uh, the, the the silly nonsense with the T shirts. is just a perfect example that ties it to your fans. There's no reason to release T shirts that poke fun at the Cleveland Browns or his time with Cleveland. And he doesn't take ownership of doing it, says it's somebody else's responsibility. He could you. You released them officially licensed and you could have said no to any of this. But to my, my general overarching point about Baker is there's just a lack of accountability on the football field, off the football field that I think ruined his time in Cleveland. Now, it could all work out in Carolina. This is not to say that the past is indicative of the future. But I look at what went wrong in Cleveland, a lack of accountability. It started in 2018 when there were some questions about work ethic, and the work ethic stuff translated over the years. There have been behind-the-scenes rumblings about how hard he was really driven to study film, how much time he spent playing video games uh, versus time prepping for opponents. A lot of that stuff bubbled up, and it and it and it came out in a way that not many people liked. Right? There's this quote that was out there about wanting a uh, leader or a grown-up in the quarterback room, and now it's it's an ironic statement given the type of player they brought in to replace him. But what they were talking about was not off the field necessarily in terms of how they lead uh, their personal life, so to say. It's kind of a weird thing I'm saying here. But like Mayfield was not a leader at the quarterback position in terms of first in first out, all of the things you need your quarterback to do, responsibility, saying the right thing at the right time. All of that stuff started to really grind on Cleveland's front office and coaching staff. And it led to that comment. So they really did feel like they, and it wasn't not, you know, whether it was manifesting Deshaun Watson coming to Cleveland or not, they were looking to move on from him. There was really no path back for those two together. Now Mayfield has done some encouraging things too. I'll give him credit. He actually finally went out and didn't do pseudo work with the quarterback coach. It seems like he invested real time, real sessions, seems to want to continue doing that too. I think that's going to be important for him continuing to to find. Uh, refine his mechanics because his mechanics can lead him awry he's inconsistent with his base he's inconsistent with his uh tempo the uncoiling effect of a quarterback and that can lead to mistakes mistakes in ball placement mistakes in timing mistakes in decisions because of the mechanic stuff Uh, i think it all kind of plays intertwined when he's right i think he's a quarterback that you can win with you can you can even see games where he rises above and is a huge reason why you win. He's got that on his resume. The problem for Baker is the inconsistency stuff springs up. He's one of the most streaky players I have ever seen in the NFL. He can put together 10 great games, but it's either pre or post of that is struggling significantly on the front or back end with just doing simple things, hitting that backside dig, hitting a crosser with ball placement that allows him to run after catch right? Mixing up tempos. What you'll realize about Baker is he is a fastball thrower. He's like a closer. He comes into the game with a 95 mile per hour fastball and oftentimes can't find anything that mixes speeds, tempo changes. He's either throwing two throws As much as he can get into the throw, or as he'll lob something up the sidelines because that's what the throw requires, but he can't do tempo throws in between second and third level stuff like that, he's not very good at. And that can, you know, that limits what you can do as an offense to move the change in a bunch of crazy ways. But again, he is fine. He is a he is a league average quarterback with spikes below and spikes above. There have been too often the spikes below. And really, what I can tell you is that if his leadership presence and everything was in a great direction. He would still be in Cleveland, but what happened here, they couldn't move forward with. Just the 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 type of person he was and with what he was given, it was just never going to work out between both sides. But to the greater point, if he does have some maturity, stuff come to be, if he can take care of the football, can stay healthy, again, making good decisions to stay healthy, he can be fine. He can be a guy you can win with. He's not going to be a win above guy. And again, you're going to see this stuff sort of play itself out when you get into the, what I call the, the what makes a quarterback a quarterback in the NFL. You could tell what tier a guys in and predictable pass situations, big money downs. Everybody knows you're throwing it. There's no play action element. There's no deception element. There's no screen. It's third and 13. We're down seven, four minutes left, whatever, both sides, How do we, how does he handle? He has never handled those. Well, largely because defenses can kind of manipulate his line of sight. Defenses can change pre to post. He's never been great at that. So like I, I, that's just my analysis over a long period of time. I could go on and on about this and kind of pick more granular things. But again, when he's moving in the right direction, he understands what the offense wants. He will be a guy that can, that can do well. I mean, he can, he can handle things for you again, not going to be a guy that you go crazy and win, you like, hey, man, we got Baker Mayfield who won us that football game. you are not going to say that very often, and the statistics have shown that. But you can do a lot worse than guys that you can scheme up throws for and he can complete them, right? Like that's that's where it was. The problem was last year for the Browns, he was being schemed up throws and he couldn't complete them. Now a large part of that is shoulder stuff and other things that were, were lingering there, but the Browns decided they wanted more uh, from the talent at that position, and it, and it led to uh, the, the the current – uh, spend cycle we're in right now for the next, uh, foreseeable future, but there's no doubt the player they brought in is a better football player. So that kind of is where, uh, the Cleveland is, but yeah, to, to, to the larger point, I do think Baker will be fine in Carolina. If he can just do the simple things that they're going to ask of him to do and actually take advantage of a running back who can catch a football and be a difference maker in that phase. So I think there's plenty to be excited about based on having watched Sam Darnold and some of the others that have been playing before him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And even, a couple years ago, Teddy Bridgewater posted some uh, pretty encouraging numbers, but just the offense as a whole was pretty limited given uh, Bridgewater. You know, he doesn't really have the physical skill set um, to really stretch the field. But uh, let, let's focus on the current iteration of the Cleveland Browns. I want to focus on offense because uh, Jacoby Brissett is going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, I'm, you know, I've always felt he's a fine, you know, backup type QB. You know, I know he started that one year for the Colts and uh, that was a very, talented team and they won seven or eight games that year so uh he's in my opinion he's a fine backup quarterback it just depends on what you're kind of expecting from him uh you know many local fans remember his time at nc state where uh coming out he was kind of like he's a traditional like pocket passer in a sense uh but he can run i remember there was a game when he was a rookie like thursday night game belichick like against the uh, texans and he ran the ball all over them doing like these crazy grunt concepts I didn't even expect him to but how do you see his fit in this offense because he's going to have the talent on the offensive line and at running back I know among your fan base there's a lot of questions among the wide receiving core but just given what he has to work with what do you expect from him
3: well I think it's going to look the offense is going to look pretty similar to what it was with Baker and they're going to do what they did last year, which is, again, in my opinion, manifest a lot of open throws, that if they were able to hit 50% of open throws that were missed, they would have they would have turned the tide from 8-9 to probably a 10-7 and seven and potentially in the playoffs. So I think they'll continue to do a lot of the wide zone power run scheme West Coast stuff that they have traditionally done, get the football out of his hands quick in predictable pass situations. They'll use a bevy of screens. They'll use a variety of typical West Coast staples, Haas, Hank, um, slant-flat combinations. They'll use some stuff that incorporates backside digs. Stefanski loves to do different ways of getting backside digs into concepts. So I think it'll look the same. They were probably suspension for Watson with six games. We're going to put together things, different things, RPO things, some pistol stuff, some different things, two backs in the backfield with Nick and Kareem. And they still might. It's just a little later in the season. It's a little harder to just sort of implement that stuff, although they will be coming off of a buy. They still might, but the offense will look pretty similar. They're just expecting Jacoby to make more of the open throws, take care of the football. I think that's one thing Jacoby's done well. You know, he started that season, first season with the Colts. He started, he had that, like you said, he had that one game with the Patriots where I think Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt and he came in and played to that, the the flight gate situation. And then um, he had, the first season he started with Indy was the Andrew Luck shoulder situation. Yeah, that was Chuck Pagano's last year. Yep, and then he got the the next set of unforeseen starting situation happened when Luck retired out of the blue. So he's had a couple runs of like, oh, I need to play a substantial number of games. So this is at least familiar territory for him. It's not something he's not accustomed to, so that helps. He is limited. He's not a creator. He's not a guy that is going to throw tight windows. Traditionally, as a ball holder, he's a bigger guy, so he can elude some people inside the pocket, get rid of guys who are hanging around him. But he doesn't take a ton of risks. And, when, you know, if your quarterback doesn't take – Enough risks, you're probably not going to hit some of those tight windows and you're not going to create some of those third downs where it's third and tough. And you know, I was talking about it with Mayfield where you got to have a quarterback who can make a throw or make a read or make a deciphering of a defense that allows you to create yards. He's not going to do that. And he doesn't have the legs element either. So the Browns are not going to be a high-powered offense with reset unless the run game is utterly dynamic. Now it could be they have four, I think, very capable running backs, including rookie running back Jerome Ford. Uh, if you throw him in with Dearness and Kareem and Nick, you have four really good backs. They could get super creative beyond what they've even been in the run game. They've been a wide zone team is what everyone thinks they are. They actually ran more gap schemes, power counter and pen pull stuff than, to, than I think anybody would expect when you look at their data. They actually ran more gap than anything last year. So they're going to be creative with how they get play action incorporated. They'll use a lot of run action stuff where they pull a backside guard selling that power counter look only to have him sort of set up and anchor the backside uh, edge and, and and create that run action that sucks up the second level. It's going to be screens, play action, and a, and a creative run game approach is how they'll go about it. And they're going to try to win games ugly. Their defense is pretty good, in my opinion, should be pretty good. And as long as everybody stays healthy, and I know that's a caveat for everybody, but they're banking on their defensive talent and being able to help them. And they're really their goal is – Anywhere from five to seven wins in the first eleven games. If they can get to five, they have a fighting chance. That's the basement. Seven is like an unbelievably great outcome that would probably be driven by some teams that are really good dealing with some injury luck at the right time for Cleveland. But that's kind of the hope. Is the first four are extremely manageable in this sense? And I'm sure that Carolina feels the same way about the Browns in week one, but like that's how they're viewing it. And is the first four games they feel like they should win. And Brissett can be a part of that if he can take care of the football, lead them on drives that yield points. Instead of turnovers or, you know, dead drives, where Browns were a heavy fourth down and go team last year and and Mayfield just could not get out of his own way on those. So they they just need him to be a better version of injured Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield healthy is a superior quarterback to Jacoby Brissett. There's no doubt about that. Pretty much every facet of the game. But I think Jacoby's better than an injured version of Baker. So they're thinking, okay, can we get a little bit better quarterback play? Tie in a lot of the elements we already do, be a dominant run team, and then grind out some games and i think they feel like they have a decent plan there
2: yeah i want to go back to one point you made earlier about you know the browns running a lot more gap and pin and pulled than you might expect and i'm actually not surprised by that uh because of the presence of bill callahan um mm-hmm. many fans will remember bill Callahan. he was the interim coach in 2019 of the uh then redskins uh now commanders he came down to carolina Uh, Dwayne Haskins was a quarterback and Haskins was you know he had a rookie game he looked fine in some aspects and uh, not so much in the others but what they did was they just controlled the line of scrimmage and especially attacked the edges which in my opinion is a weak point in Carolina's defense Um, I I think many people uh, consider Brian Burns to be a very good edge rusher but uh, one of his weaknesses is setting the edge and holding at the point of attack and I expect the Browns to really you know, attack that part of Carolina's defense. This is a a run defense that was not good last year. They were a pretty good pass defense. Uh, obviously many people remember their fantastic start to the year, but uh, run defense was an issue, especially on the edges. Uh, so it, it's going to, I definitely expect Cleveland to really attack that area. And I just want to get your perspective on this run game a little more because the offensive line, um, It's definitely been a huge transformation from, you know, a few years ago. Now you guys have arguably the two best uh, guards in the league, at least at the tandem wise. Uh, But there are some question marks about center. I think there was an injury in the preseason. What do you expect the offensive line to look like? And kind of like, how do you feel like their uh, presence will help control the line scrimmage in the run game? Yeah, good question.
3: Um, you know, I would I would say across the board, if you go left to right, Jedrick Wills is in his third year. It's a wildly important third year for him because, you know, as a guy who's taken 10th overall, there's a lot of future decisions made after your third year. He's very talented, uh, very good footwork, hands that are nice, punch to reset. Like, I think he does a nice job in both phases as an agile player. His His, his switch from right tackle throughout his entire NFL career to left tackle has been a bit of a journey. Uh, You know, just in the NFL playing left tackle, there were growing pains, but I I see the baseline for a very good offensive tackle. Now, he got rolled up on in week one last year and had a gnarly high ankle sprain that he played with most of last year. So that impacted some of his performance. But but the issue for me biggest for him is he doesn't have a mean streak and he doesn't always finish plays like he'll be in the right position, but he'll, he'll turn his head around. He'll what we used to call helmet cam it at the wrong time where he's trying to find the ball carrier for no reason instead of staying on top of and finishing somebody in some form or fashion. So that gets him in a little bit of trouble. Huge year for him. Talented though. You'd mentioned the guards, Batonio and Teller, and that's a large reason why the Browns went gap and movement stuff all the time because they just have these guards who are so dynamic in space and in power down situations to move people, shield people, get their body where it needs to be. So those two are just just really good. They paid them well because they're really good and they want to use them in dynamic ways. They don't want those to be static players. So they use them all the time, play action, sorry, run action and their run scheme stuff. They'll be moving them a lot. Center was JC Tretter, who was also a very gifted mover, but they moved on from him because of the contract. They had plans to start Nick Harris, the center from Washington, who they took in the sixth round, maybe fifth round. I think it was fifth round in, in 2019 and sorry, 2020, And had looked really good. He had a great game. Green Bay. He started like Tretter never really got hurt. I think Tretter was out with a COVID game. The only game he missed his entire Browns career. And he was really strong against Kenny Clark. And Kenny Clark's one of the best interior players in the NFL, in my opinion. And he was impressive. But he uses a hop technique as a sort of undersized center. 6'1", 3'10", or so. He uses a hop technique. And that hop technique buckled his right knee in the first preseason game. Second snap and he i believe he tore his acl i never saw confirmation of it but that's what i believe so he's out for the year they signed ethan posich who's from uh, lsu who was drafted in uh, seattle played some years at guard he moved to center he's been okay he's a marginal player he's a good mover that's why they liked him so he can move and do some different things but he's a step down both from a mental standpoint and from a athletic standpoint from treader so we'll see how they compensate and uh, I would have preferred a Harris, who's a better athlete, a better anchoring pass blocker. So we'll see how Posich handles it and whether they move him around a lot. Uh, Teller, again, the other guard, fantastic, mean streak, an athlete, man, is um, very good, very gifted. Uh, they they trust him a lot. And then right tackles is a bit of a mystery. We've got these status updates from Jack Conklin, who is, uh, I think, one of the most gifted zone-blocking tackles in the league, but had a really great 2020, but 2021 dealt with some early season injuries. Then he dislocated the elbow, came back two and a half weeks after dislocating the elbow and and um, tore his uh, patella tendon. So he's been on a long recovery. I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. They're saying the right things, but it feels like they're going to be super cautious with him. So I don't know who will start at right tackle. They signed back um, Chris Hubbard, but he's been beat up uh, two straight years. He's gone on IR. He's not really functioning well right now. So they signed Joe Haig, this player out of Pittsburgh, who's a rotational tackle, who can be a backup guy, who they gave some decent guaranteed money to. So he's their depth guy. The only other guy could be is James Hudson, who's a second year, fourth round pick out of Cincinnati, who's fine, who did get thrust into action last year due to injuries to Conklin and Wills. So he's got some experience, but not anywhere near a refined product. So he'll have his hands full. So right tackle is the position to pay attention to, to me. Great coaching, pretty great scheme for the guys they have but some fluctuation on that right tackle spot and it and just uh, and center makes you a little less confident than before, but they still get the most out of their guys because of, like you said, Callahan's ability to get that out of guys.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think he's arguably the best offensive line coach um, in the league. So one of the concerns that I'm hearing a lot from your fan base is kind of the skill talent on the outside, whether it's wide receiver. Uh, you guys did pay Njoku um, big money. So he returns after you guys went out in free agency. I think it was Stefanski's first year and signed Hooper. And he had uh, some struggles, I guess. And obviously he moved on. So, what are you expecting now from this skill talent overall? Because it seems like this is an area that could probably uh, stand to improve. Yeah, the wide
3: receiver stuff depends on Amari Cooper. If he can be the best version of himself, they'll probably be okay but that's not a usual thing for him. He's kind of like a 12-game player these past few years, so I'm not totally sure. He is good still, but a borderline number one guy, probably best suited to be surrounded by more talent. But you go past him, you go to Donovan Peoples-Jones, six-round pick out of Michigan two years ago, a nice rookie season, a decent follow-up season where he led the receiving group in yards, but that wasn't much to speak of in a really broken passing system. Last year, more of an X, bigger, longer body type, vertical route tree guy. Should push for a decent number of yards this year, should, should try to get up above 750, but not immensely talented, but an athlete, a very good athlete who can, who can go up and get the football and does a pretty good job of that, but not a great separator. So he's your second guy. Your slot, it's up in the air. Could be David Bell, rookie out of Purdue. They took late third round. Nice player. Um, Not a great athlete, but a decent separator because I think he has a really good understanding of route nuance. Haven't seen enough of him to definitively say one way or the other how I feel about him, but he's a guy who will get a lot of run. Anthony Schwartz, burner, third round pick out of Auburn in the 20 draft, has just disappointed every step of the way. Has not seen the speed that is supposed to be Olympic class speed and a great runner. Manifest itself in football speed. He has not been able to separate like you would like, and he's come across this drop issue in the preseason and training camp where he's just not really reeling in the simplest of stuff. So it's not even vertical route tree tracking, which he's not a great tracker of the football on those deep throws. He's not been able to handle slants and drags and digs and sail routes like he's not he's not doing well with any of that. He's certainly their fourth receiver. We'll see what that eventually looks like. And then, you know you're kind of searching for what the next Receiver talent's going to be that matters. It's really, there's really not a ton of positivity. There were some ideas that um, the Browns would be interested in maybe going to get a Denzel Mims or a, a Darius Slayton, but they didn't make any of those moves. So they're they're sort of just sort of sitting pat with their wide receiver. They have Michael Woods, who's a sixth round pick out of Oklahoma, who had moments in training camp but was out with a hamstring for all of the preseason. So he remains a mystery. Those are your five receivers, and they have a Demetric Felton, who's a late round draft pick out of UCLA who is a hybrid. He played wide receiver and running back at UCLA has been used kind of uh, all over the place, but mostly at wide receiver, probably a slot body. They'll use him on some jet motion, some fly sweet motion stuff, get him involved there. He'll see the football field. He's going to be their punt return, kick return guy since Jakeem Grant tore his Achilles. So you'll see Demetrius Felton on the field a lot. He's wearing a running back number, but he's a wide receiver essentially. But yeah, it comes down to your second most talented pass catchers, David and Joka, who you mentioned they, they paid, he should get a lot of opportunity slot playing some X moving around. He'll be out there a ton. He should get a lot of targets, big year for him to prove he can handle an increased role. I think it's all there for him. We'll see if it works out, but they'll use him a ton. And then Harrison Bryan is a tight end. They brought in uh, from, from Florida Atlantic where he was a, um, you know, I forget the name of the call. Is it Matt? No, Mackey's He's not the name of the tight end award. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but he, was the college football's best tight end uh, for the award stuff. And he's been fine. He can be lined up in the backfield as an offset guy. He can be a wing. They use him in the slot. He's not a great athlete. He's honestly like Austin Hooper, who was there previously, the Browns let go, just not a great athlete, but understands soft spots and zones. And he's where he's supposed to be. And he's pretty sure handed. And I would imagine he'll get some opportunities too. So underwhelming skill group, a group that they have to get better at in the future. But I think, again, the Browns thought that they were going to get a quarterback on the field sooner than what they have. And they thought he could elevate some of that stuff to go along with that dynamic running back group. You know, they'll incorporate Kareem Hunt and some pass game stuff in Nick, too. But they're going to be creative. A lot of screens, a lot of misdirection, a lot of things that are meant to get guys in space because of what the concept dictates. So we'll, we'll just have to see it that way. But they don't have a bunch of mono, mono go out there and beat up your guys type of thing. So, yeah, it's it's a concern. It is one of the things that if we look back and the Browns really struggled this year, it'll be a contributing factor to that for sure.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating insight on the offense. Uh, I want to switch to defense now, but before we get to like the individual units and some players, what do you make of this scheme under Joe Woods? Because he's kind of been around... Ah, uh, the block for a few years. Uh, you know he was Vance Joseph's defensive coordinator in Denver. Then he worked under Robert Salah in San Francisco for a couple years. I, I don't believe that his system isn't similar to what they run in San Francisco or the Jets. So, like, what kind of scheme are they kind of employing here in Cleveland?
3: At its base, it's a four three. I mean, they'll play base stuff. I, I can kind of go through it with you here. They're a high volume zone team. So, they like to play they like to play quarters. They're, I think they led the NFL last year in two high quarters looks uh, and early downs. just typical four down quarters looks. They led the NFL in that. they don't they don't love to play man. Now they'll play quarters with what's called a poach check, and they'll have Denzel and the boundary be one on one. and they'll essentially be playing three over two or three over three. And if you incorporate the linebackers sometimes four to five over three to the opposite side of the field, sort of funneling things. What they want to do is they're not a high blitz team. They're not a high man team. They want to funnel things to portions of the field and do their best to gang tackle and make you make 15 play drives. Like that's their goal. And they think they can create negatives through turnovers, whether that's Jadevian and miles wrecking havoc uh, and creating chaos in the backfield that leads to, to, to DB turnovers. Like their, their concept to me is pretty simple. We want a couple of really good pass rushers. Their defensive tackle group, Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan, not great. They're 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 kind of glossing over that position, um, and there's some data out there that it's not the worst decision in the world. We'll see what it looks like ultimately, but they want really strong pass rushers, and then they want a, an abundance of defensive backs so they can rotate in and out and play different positions and and create chaos and coverage. So they simplify things as much as they can, try to eliminate a lack of um, um, miscommunication and let their athletes play. Think less play more, right? That's their concept. So they in the in the secondary they have two young players who are very good. Denzel Ward who they extended, gave a lot of money to. They think he's got levels to unlock and he's already been very good. They think he's going to keep getting better. He's still young. So Denzel, they drafted Greg Newsom in last year's first round. had a phenomenal rookie year. He's going to play some slot, he's going to play outside. He can do some different things. Greg's a fun player. He can he can tackle. He can, he's I think they they called him a uh, scheme Agnostic was the word that Andrew Barry used. He can do whatever he can play, man. He can play zone. He can play a variety of zones. He can play cloud. He can play flat. He can do it all. They like him. They like him inside a little bit. They like greedy Williams playing outside uh, for them. He's a third round pick back in the 19th. Sorry, second round pick back in the 19 draft. He can play outside for them at a nice bounce back year after he lost his second year to a degenerative shoulder issue. He'll play a ton. They have a, a a UDFA out of Oklahoma State named AJ Green, ironically enough, uh, AFC North name that terrorized them for the Bengals for so long. They have this corner who's a pretty good depth piece, inside outside player that they'll play a lot. Um, I imagine he'll get some snaps. They drafted Martin Emerson, a third round kid, long lanky field corner, uh, very good in zone stuff. I think he'll fit right in for them. Had a pick six in the preseason. They like him. Uh, Safety-wise, they have three guys they want to play a lot. They kept a surprise name that they feel good about moving down into the box, but they got John Johnson, who was obviously successful out of Boston College at the Rams doing a bunch of different things. He's more of their post-safety. They have Grant Delpit out of LSU, who's now two years removed from an Achilles tear his rookie year. So he's their jack-of-all-trades, slot, box, nickel, big nickel stuff. He'll be all over the place. They brought back Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama. They traded for him last year before the season started from the Jags. Uh, Sorry, two years ago, they traded for him brought him back this year on a cheap deal because he underperformed last year, but he can do a bunch of stuff. He does dime backer role for them. So they will be a heavy zone, sorry, a heavy uh, nickel team. That's their base. They will play base defense with three backers to match personnel. They'll bring Sioni Taki Taki onto the field and play him as the sand backer. But you're going to get JOK, who is phenomenal. He's so good. I mean, like just closing speed, understanding things, angles, linemen can't touch him. He is the perfect modern backer who I think is primed to take a massive leap into the top five at the position in the coming years. He's out there all the time. They'll rotate two players at Mike Anthony Walker, who is a longtime Colts running mate uh, right, right beside. I think it's now um, what he changed his name. It's Shaq, right? I think it's Shaq Leonard uh, is what he goes by now. I think, you know, uh, Darius Leonard was, well, he's one of the best backers in the league who loved him and like wrote a swan song to walk when he left because he loved him so much and what he taught him and they like his professionalism. They'll play him at Mike and Jacob Phillips, this kid out of LSU they drafted three years ago, who's had some injury luck issues last year, just a random, uh random uh, joint practice of the Giants, hyperextended his left elbow and like torn a, a, a ligament in the elbow and couldn't play all year, but he's athletic and he ran beside Patrick queen on that dominant LSU defense. So he'll get some run too. They've got a ton of bodies, man. They got a ton of bodies, ton of athletes. They think they're going to wreck some havoc by doing simple things, being creative in their blitz stuff. They'll do this overload stuff where they'll shift three guys called a boss front. They'll, they'll shift 3d line to one side, walk up mug some linebackers in the a gap b gap to that opposite side and kind of leave miles in a one-on-one situation they'll move miles around they'll move you around they'll try to create havoc through simplicity uh, they're not going to risk themselves on islands all, all they although they could they're they're really not going to put them their guys on islands all too often they want to they want to use their overwhelming athleticism and come up and gang tackle people and baker will know he'll he'll know i mean the, the browns are talking about some different things they're going to do. They're going to be creative, more different looks and, and money down situations. Cause they were not good last year in third downs. So they were frustratingly among the league's worst in third downs last year. So they're trying to get better at that, but um, you know, the, and they, they do need to throw some wrinkles at Mayfield because he knows a lot of what they do. So we'll, we'll, you know, that'll be one of the main focuses for me is how Joe Woods combats a guy who knows him pretty well week one. But yeah, it's a very talented defense on all, all three levels. If you're going to beat them, you know, you're going to, in my opinion, take advantage of some, some schemed up stuff where you know what they're going to do to three by one or two by two and take advantage of tendencies. You beat up on the interior players because they don't have a ton of depth there. You know, they've they got guys who are unproven. I said, Elliot and Taven Bryan, they drafted Perry on Winfrey who's an inconsistent player out of Oklahoma in the fourth round. And then they'll, they'll play Tommy Togia. who was a fourth round pick the year before out of Ohio state. Like they're, they're just not very good inside. So if you can find ways to manipulate inside sort of runs, whatever that is, ice, Uh, whether that's some, some tight zone stuff and you can manipulate their inside and put yourself in good third down situations, third and shorts, you've got a good chance. But the Browns don't give up a ton of deep plays. They just do not get beat deep. That's their whole thing. Keep everything in front of them. So that's the focus.
2: For sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the interior of the defensive line. That seems to be an area that Carolina could possibly exploit with their run game. But it's going to be interesting just because Ben McAdoo has... You know, historically, never been a guy that's pounded the rock as much as you know their head coach wants to. Uh, so, watching that dynamic all year will be quite interesting. But if you were like project one area that Carolina could potentially have success, would you say it's in the run game, kind of exposing the interior of your defensive line? I mean, it has to be. I think if you can, like I said,
3: whether that's split tight, whatever, I'm not sure totally what Carolina does. Run game schematically, but to me, with McCaffrey in the backfield, probably in gun a lot because you can utilize some of his different skill sets in various ways in the passing game. It's taking advantage of that stuff, right? Being able to get yourself in third. You, I think against the Browns, what you really want to stay out of is third and long, even though they weren't very good at it last year. I don't think that's a stat that is consistent year to year. I do think it's a bit capricious in nature. So I expect the Browns to be a much better money down team. They actually were on the wrong side of fumble luck last year. So even though their defense maybe didn't look as strong on paper, I think it had a chance to be really good last year, especially by the end of the year when everything started to click and they brought back everyone so rare for the Browns. And I'm talking from the top down. They brought every coach back now for the third straight year. And most of the players that are in the system, they're really not bringing in anybody new. Like they didn't go out and acquire Martin Emerson, but that's like it. Their defense is, and they've talked about it all offseason. Like we're ready to zoom. Like we know everything they want us to do. We have the communication down. We know where we're supposed to be. And like all of that stuff is in a pretty good place for them. Now, offensively, they're moving around some pieces, but uh, in terms of players, new players into the fold. But for the most part, like they feel good about that stuff. So, yeah, in my opinion, with Mayfield being a lack of mobility guy. He's really not going to threaten them all too much in terms of stepping up and moving forward in the pocket. He could do some things if you sort of crash and lose contain, but he's not going to move a ton. So can they take advantage of quick throwing game? Can they take advantage of getting the ball out of Baker's hands quick? Cause you really don't want him hanging on to it. Can he find passing lanes? If he can do those things uh, you, I think you got a chance. And again, you need to really be able to run the football, Inside the tackle box, get a body on JOK, get a body on walk and make those second and shorts that yield third and shorts, Um, second and mediums to third and shorts. I think that's the place to do it, because, you know, I I think that Carolina has some nice talent at wide receiver, but the Browns match up secondary wise with anybody. I really think they do. I mean, they've built the secondary to handle Cincinnati like that's been their thing. They've saw what was coming with Cincinnati and they've built their secondary around playing the Bengals ridiculous talent at wide receiver and quarterback. And and that's, that's smart, right? Smart in a sense. Um, but it can also, you know, if you, if you run in the wrong team at the wrong time with the propensity to be able to tack interior and put themselves in good third down situations and have a coordinator who could take advantage of some of your tendencies, it can come back to bite you a little bit, but I don't think the Browns defense is going to let them down all too often. And I think this is going to be a relatively low scoring game in my opinion. So it's just whoever can take care of the rock and, you know put together some sort of 17-14 or a uh, 21-10 or something like that. I I don't see either team putting up a ton of points really.
2: No, I, I'm I'm totally with you. I, I see it the same way. Uh, last well this is actually the third straight year that they've opened up with an AFC opponent at home. Um I don't know what to take from that but I do find it interesting that um, this game it, it's going to be interesting just simply from the fact that you guys aren't facing like a new head coach where you're going to have to prepare for like a new scheme and you have to kind of project based on, well, let's just say like the giants, for example, you, have to, you don't have to watch like Buffalo, um, their offense or Baltimore's defense, which you guys have a lot of experience in. Uh, this is essentially the same defense that you're going to be preparing for that they've run for the past couple of years. And the same thing with Carolina, uh, you guys have consistency at both coaching positions. So, um, I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I do think it'll be close. I'm I'm not ready to predict anything at this point. I think it'll be like you said, 17, 14, whoever can kind of come through at the end. Uh, I will say though, I believe the special teams edge is going to be with the Browns. Carolina's reliable kicker that they found last year. Um, Zane Gonzalez. I think he's out for the year. Uh, I know you guys drafted. Uh, was it Cade York from LSU?
3: Yeah. Cade. They did draft Cade from LSU and, He is immensely talented, man. He is immensely talented. I mean, I'm watching pregame where the guy's kicking 70 yarders, and I'm talking nothing broken, just the three-step. Like, he has a tremendously powerful leg. They are very high on him. He was an extremely good preseason and training camp performer. They think they've solved the kicker position the best they can, and they're excited about what he can do in that phase for them this year. So it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the Browns are in fourth down this year compared to last year due to that uh player and you know we never really know until the guy gets in regular season games that matter but as far as like finally finding somebody talented that they have found a very talented kicker in cade york for sure yeah and
2: it's kind of a afc north i guess is a breeding ground for young talented kickers now um but no i think special teams is is definitely going to come to it's going to be very carolina they hired a new special teams coordinator they look pretty good in the preseason but again how much do you really take from that uh but the kicking game it's going to be very huge and I think that in a game like this where field position uh, will matter and you guys have a head coach that is not afraid to go for it uh Carolina Matt rule has been very inconsistent with with regards to his fourth down decisions uh his first year in the league he went for it like quite a bit it was quite striking to watch uh last year he did some played it very conservatively uh so I don't know which direction he's going to go, but I know that the Browns are going to be very aggressive in that regard. And then uh, just with special teams as a whole, I think that you guys have the edge and in a close game where margins are really tight, I think that's going to matter quite immensely. I don't know how uh, in the return game, they have, they have Andre Roberts, who, you know, he's kind of carved out a nice career for himself as a kick returner, but, um, but there's so much more to just returning a kick than just running it back. unless you're like Devin Hester or Cordero Patterson, um. So yeah, I mean, any like final like predictions on like what to expect in this game? I think you did a really good job breaking down what to look for on defense. But uh, overall, like, is there something that you kind of you're paying attention to that this could be the difference in the matchup? You know,
3: I'm gonna be completely honest with you, man. I I can't wait for this game to be over <laughs> because i've I've made I've made the statement this week that like you know, two, two people divorce or split up as couples, but they've already paid for a vacation. And they're like, we just have to go. And that's kind of what it is with, with the Browns and Mayfield. I'm just tired of talking about Baker Mayfield. I'm tired of hearing his quotes. I'm tired of everything surrounding the guy. And he might be great for you guys. That'd be great. that would be awesome. I really am not pulling against him. I'm just tired of the thought process and five years of the guy. And like, the Browns and the drama and I just, it's its annoying. They have to get together week one. So I'm just ready for it to be over to be, to be completely transparent, Billy. I don't think this moves anything for me one way or the other. Like if Baker's bad and he plays bad and the Browns win, that doesn't mean he's going to be bad and not be in the NFL anymore. And if you like this game has really no bearing on the future and people are trying to make it to be more than it is. It's just a first game. Now the Browns would love to win this game because they're like one, and they're, they're, they've they only won one time in an opener since the return in 99 it's embarrassingly bad ongoing joke they tied the Steelers in like 2019 or 18 and that's been like one of the best outcomes since they beat the Ravens in 2004 so the Browns have a long standing of week one ineptitude so take that to your betting delight if you're uh, leaning Panthers but yeah I mean I'm watching how the Browns are able that my, my focal thing from a player film, uh, all 22 angles. What do they do to manipulate Mayfield? What do they do to confuse them? Are they able to do that? And then just is the offense able to stay ahead of the sticks, keep Jacoby out of downs that matter and, and sort of capitalize on open schematic opportunities. But I don't know enough about Jacoby as a quarterback to like be able to predict anything. And I, again, like, I just need to see some tape of things that matter with McAdoo doing all that for Mayfield to like know a bit more about tendencies and stuff like that. So week one is such a blank slate and you have an idea of what teams are as a baseline, but man, this is, this week is all about just figuring out what they want to do and how they want to do it. And for the Browns, it's, can they confuse Mayfield? Can they create chaos in him mentally that causes turnovers and, Can they take advantage of it? And on the flip side of that, if Mayfield's able to take it, you know, take care of the rock, put themselves in good situations, they can score some points because, you know, I think that there is plenty of talent on the outside with the Panthers that can cause some issues with the Browns. And you're obviously paying attention to what they're able to do running the football in the interior as well. So those are just baseline places for my eyes will be. And I think it'll be ugly. Um, it's going to be close. I'm just going to predict the Browns have a better place kicker and they they win it like 17 16, something like that. But that's totally a pick em. it's a coin flip. And I'm trying to make sure my fan base lets me keep talking about the team. So I'm going to pick Cleveland.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get it, man. Don't worry. And I, I'm again, I try to stay out of predictions for that very reason. Um, and it's still kind of early in the week, you don't know where injuries are headed. But uh, are there any like notable injuries that you can think of uh, at this point in the week? No, just the Conklin thing. I think that's the most important thing to pay attention to, whether he plays
3: or not, because the drop off from Jack Conklin playing and not playing is pretty significant on the right side. So that'll be something to track for sure. But I think the Browns are relatively healthy across many other positions. They didn't play Miles or in a single snap in the preseason. Grant Delpit got dinged up in the third game and Wyatt Teller both left early, but they they were just very minimal. We just want to get them off the field preseason stuff. So should be pretty good on that front.
2: Awesome. Awesome. And Once again, Jake, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate your insight. You've been uh, immensely transparent with everything, and I hope our listeners can can pay attention to some of the things you said. But uh, before you do sign off, is there anything you want to plug where we can find you on Twitter or some of the platforms that you're working on? Yeah, so uh,
3: social media, it's at Jake underscore Burns 18. Very simple there. It's pretty much all Brown's content. So if you're not into that, then stay away. But otherwise, I do some stuff um you know the obr film breakdown is a podcast on blue wire i do a daily show so that's available every day if you're into that sort of thing um also a part of blue wire network and then um i do live game watches which are pretty fun there's a site called playback so we do uh, live game watch parties and we do them for every primetime game and every cleveland game so if you are interested in that meander over to my twitter page and you can find a link and link your tv provider and hang out and uh, troll Browns fans if you're into that sort of thing <laughs> on Sunday because we'll, we'll do a live show during that one.
2: No, I don't know if any trolling. Carolina has a lot to prove before they can kind of troll any fan bases at this point. <laughs> uh, but once again, that, everyone, that's Jake Burns. Thank you so much for joining and uh, see you guys next time.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.